Welcome to the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. To stay connected, go to revivaltoday.com. And now, here is Evangelist Jonathan. Well, today, we continue entering the acceleration lane for 2024. Welcome everybody that's watching online. And uh, as YouTube's banned us, thank you for jumping over on the app. I appreciate it. Um, we covered, I, we've only gotten through one point. I think we did an introduction the Monday, and then we covered, what did we cover yesterday? What do you have to have? What do you have to have in your heart for God to bless? A desire in your heart. There's nothing for God to bless if you don't give him anything to bless. What do you want me to do for you? Sir, I want to receive my sight. So that's God. It's not whatever he wants to do. He asks, what would you like me to do? Now, I put something in your heart um, for you to discover. I didn't choose to be a preacher. I discovered God's plan for my life. But then you have to get a desire in your heart, A, to know what you're to do, and then B, to want to expand it. I felt to tell all the younger people that are here, 30 and younger, especially if you're a teenager, I think one of the things that holds people back is you write off your lack of achievement or uh, lack of finances to being young. I'm just in college or I'm just getting started. But if you look around, there's a lot of people in their 60s and 70s and 80s that are very poor. You know, if you, depending on what family you come from, you know, your grandma gives you $5 for Christmas or $10 for Christmas. And then your parents tell you, tell her thank you. I know that's not a lot of money, but she doesn't have any money. Well, that shows you that time doesn't heal that. So people think if they just live long enough, things will sort out. But actually, if you don't grab your life by the reins, using a horse analogy, time blows by. There's people I've preached for, I don't think they realize that they've been at the church they've been at for 20 years. I, I just don't. I don't think, I think in their mind, they're still 30. And you can tell by a lot of preachers when you look at them that are 60, they still think they're 30. They're wearing skinny jeans. They look like an egg with legs. They don't realize. Because if you talk to any older person, time shoots by. I mean, it really shoots by. I'm, I'm not, I, won't, I don't think anybody can call me old, but uh, I'm 43. It blows by. Like to think I have a 25-year high school reunion coming, I feel like I just left. So you have to take 2024. There has to be a time, why not make it now, where you realize I'm going to take this year and everything that's in my heart to do, I'm going to do it. Because that's what we're dealing with in these morning services is how do you not have 2024 be a repeat of 2023? Because people's years just repeat. Like there's, there's a pastor I, I, I preached for. He was a youth pastor. And this would apply to a lot of pastors. So if you, if you get uh, insecure, uh, just pretend it's not you if you're watching online. He was, a, he was a youth pastor. He was a great youth pastor. And then a door opened up for him to take a church and be senior pastor. It was a small church. And uh, it stayed a small church. And so one year goes by, five years go by, 10 years go by, 15 years go by. And it's basically the same size. But when you talk to him, you know, he would still make comments in year 12, in year 13. You know, we just came here from such and such a place. We were youth pastors. And now we've taken this church. We've just, we just have been here a number of years. No, you've been there now over a decade. When you came there, your, your oldest child was a toddler. And now they're getting married. And you, in your mind, just got there. 
The Bible says life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Life shoots by. You have to grab it. You have to take a year and maximize and, and, and not just say, well, I believe one day. No, one day never comes. I promise you. You know, there, there's a kid in our church. His name's Tristan. I like him a lot. He comes to all night prayer. He prays all night. Uh, he's still praying at six in the morning when we, when we quit. He's a good guy. He collects baseball cards. He, he gets along with Camila. I like him a lot. You know, the day will come where, where he'll be married and have kids in the children's ministry of Jesus Terry's. And it, it, it won't feel like any time passed whatsoever. So what I'm encouraging you to do, now the teenagers that have come and uh, come here instead of high school, you know, I really want you to know you don't have to wait till you're 35 or 40 or 55. There's a preacher that I know, and I like him a lot. He started to have doors open to him to do big meetings. They were like, like, like Pastor Dean invited me to come to Hobbs. Well, he was having meetings or invitations where it wasn't one pastor from a city. It was like 31 pastors from a city wanted him to come, and they would all work together, and they wanted to rent the convention center and have him come, and they'll pay for everything. And somebody put it in his head that you can't do those type of meetings when you're 40. Because they've done studies and you have to be a minimum of 55 years old before you can have the ear of the community. You have to be 55 or people that are 68 and 72 that are business owners, they're not going to listen to you when you're 40. So they told him that and he, he said that to me. He said, I have these invitations, but um, I'm not, I don't think now's the time because I'm too young. And he told me that study. Well, now I've heard other people preach that they've done studies that once you're 55, People don't want to hear from you anymore, and you should really turn it over to younger speakers. And in the studies, they, they cite uh, Taylor Swift has big concerts, but when she gets older, it won't be like that anymore. That's the devil. The devil will have you too young until you're too old. So you have basically every time you go to preach, you have two groups of people. You have one group that's waiting for their day to come, and then you have another group that thinks, boy, I wish I'd have heard that this 20 years ago, but I've had my day. There's no... That, that, is, that is the furthest thing from God's truth. God has you in this service right now for you to do the things that he's placed in your heart. When you read Gideon, an angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, mighty man of God, the Lord is with you, and then gave him the instructions to deliver his people. Gideon said, um, I think you have the wrong address. I'm the least in my family. My family is the least in my clan, and my clan is the least in their tribe. The thing that holds people from having a life of exploits is not the devil. It's their own thought about themselves. What about the spies? Numbers chapter 13 and 14. God told them, I'm giving you this land. Not, they didn't have to ask God. God told them it belongs to you. Of the 12 spies, forget the 12 spies, of the whole nation, only two families went into the land out of what Bible scholars estimate was 1.3 million people, Joshua and Caleb. What was the reason that the other spies didn't go into the land? We were like grasshoppers in their sight. There's giants in the land. We're not able to take it. So the devil didn't keep them out. Their own view of themselves kept them out. You know, in Christianity, I won't say Christianity, I don't know, because Christianity is pure, but church. Religion aids that. Having, 
It's almost like they teach it. Like part of Christianity is to have a very low opinion of yourself. How many of you know we're nothing? He's everything. We're not nothing. Did Jesus die for nothing? No. Even before you were saved, we didn't go to Cabinda and Angola to reach nothing. Those, those people all got saved. Well, these, are, these are nothing. No. They're, they're men and women created in the image of God that have intrinsic value in them because of that creation. Can you say amen? So if you have a low opinion of yourself, I'm not smart, I can't do it, uh, I'm not good at math, and you're always, you're always pulling out what you're not good at. Well, everybody has things. No one can do everything. Even if you think you can, you can't. That's why there's an economy. If everybody could do everything, there'd be no money in circulation. But the fact that I can't fix a car to save my life keeps mechanics in Pittsburgh in business. You know, whatever you can't do, there's people that can do it. So you never let your limitation. I don't know anything about media. That's why Ben's on the, on the road with me, and we have a media team back home facilitating that. You, 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 you can find people. God will add people to your team that are able to do what you can't do. Instead of being able to rattle off all the things you're not good at, why don't you figure out what you can't do? Like me, I can preach. You know, if, if, if I have an invitation to preach, I can have a good service. I know that. So that's all I do. If I was in stand-up comedy, that's all I would do. I'd, I'd write jokes. I'd, I'd refine my stand-up comedy skills, and I would do that. Whatever the thing is you do, there's nobody sitting here that doesn't at least have one thing because you're created in the image of God. There's something you can do better than almost everybody else. And then if you add the anointing to it, you might not do it. Like, am I the best preacher there is? Maybe not. But there isn't anybody, if you want somebody to have a service like I have it, there's not a second person to get. Same with Pastor Rodney. It's not just how you do it, it's the way you do it that's different. That's another thing you're going to have to fight if you want to do exploits for God. When David in 1 Samuel 17, when he said he wanted to kill Goliath, what did King Saul try to get him to do? He said, don't use a, a stone and sling, use what? My armor. And David said, no, I, I haven't proved these things. So what they'll do is, once you figure out the thing, do you know how many people tried to turn me in to this type of preacher? Hello, as, we, as we're here today, I just want to share a couple points with you, and then we'll dismiss, you know, and do things the way everyone else does. The reason they try to get you to do that is then be, you become <clears throat> very easily replaceable because then there's a million of you. Whereas if you listen to the Holy Spirit, God will not only show you what to do, He'll show you a way to do it that'll set you above your peers. God's going to use this service today to put you on a track where you're going to excel in 2024. If you believe it, can you say a living amen? Give the Lord a great hand clap as we begin. Proverbs chapter 4. Do you have that chart, Ben, to put up? Proverbs, the fourth chapter. I'm not going to read the, the whole chapter, but we'll start towards the end. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they're stumbling over. I'll, I'll pause there. Say with me, the path of the righteous is like or shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day. That means 
There's not like they've taught you in many churches, ups and downs. I mean, we all have mountains and valleys. What a stupid thing to put in people's heads. A, it's not biblical. B, do you know what happens if you expect the life of mountains and valleys? Think of it. Every time something good happens, if you believe life is mountains and valleys, every time you hit a high, what are you expecting then to happen? Oh, well. That's why you'll hear people that believe like that say stuff like, um, well, man, we just had, like, I'm in the preacher world a lot. Man, I just had one of the best services and one of the best offerings in my life. I, I, I'm sure the devil will be attacking. They actually think that every time God blesses you, it's like to set you up to withstand an attack. But what would happen if you believed what the Bible said? The Bible says from glory to glory, from victory to victory, from strength to strength, that every time you hit a breakthrough, you're not expecting trouble. You're expecting further victory. Did, did God tell Joshua, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll win a battle, then you'll lose a battle, then you'll win a battle, then you'll lose a battle? Or did he say, if you follow my instruction, no one will be able to stand before you as long as you live, and I'll give you good success and victory in everything you do? You know, one of the first meetings that I had that really broke through was in a place called uh, Dillsburg, Pennsylvania. And um, I had never had more than $9,000 come in the offering before. And that meeting was scheduled to go three days, and it went three weeks. The church was packed. There was only 1,100 people in the town, and we were having about 550 people come every night. This is in 2011. So that it wasn't, there was no Facebook Live. I was not on TV, so it was all organic. Nobody was driving in from other places. It was rocking that town. Tons of people get saved. I think we had, I think we had just under 300 first-time decisions for Christ in three weeks in a town of 1,100. So... Uh, this, this evangelist heard about the meeting that that pastor had it. What happens, I noticed, is if you started to have good meetings, other evangelists that would come to that church wanted to see almost like, like, oh, no, there's no way I've preached there. That can't be happening like that. And then when they saw that it was packed and people were getting saved, then they had questions. But this guy didn't have questions from like he wanted to learn. It was almost like, you know, he was older than me. You could just tell he had a, he had a hard time believing that a 31-year-old was doing better than him in his, in his mid-50s. So he said, um, Pastor, Pastor uh, uh, Mike told me what the offerings were. He said, um, well, you need to be careful with that money. He said, it's always been my experience that if God blesses me financially, something's getting ready to go wrong. Well, that explains your life, sir. Amen. <laughs> Bible says the expectation of the righteous will not be cut off. If you expect trouble, you get trouble. If you expect blessing, you get blessing. If you expect miracles, that's what Oral Roberts used to say. He used to say something good is going to happen to you today. That's how he opened this program. Get people expecting God's best. Amen. What's your expectation? Well, nothing bad happened when he said that. Uh, I didn't know all I know now. So I thought, well, this guy's older. He might be right. Maybe the engine on my car is going to go or, or my brakes are going to go. When I went back to Virginia Beach, actually, it's all coming back to me now. I was carrying the trash down from our third floor apartment down to the dumpster. And I was thinking about that. And the Lord spoke to me. Why would you expect something to go wrong? I'm the one that blessed you. Do you think I'm going to stop blessing you now? Keep doing what I'm telling you to do. And this will actually be the smallest you ever are. Now you think about that. Back then, I had nothing that I have right now. And I thought I hit a lucky streak and it was going to go back to normal. But not only did it never do that. It's kept going higher and higher. because the Why? Because it's scriptural. There's no scripture 
Remember when God blesses you, something is going to go wrong. That's not, a, that's not a Bible verse. The Bible says, the path of the upright. Everybody say, that's me. That's yeah, you're not in church because you're, uh, you know, what are you doing? Snorting heroin in the back? No. Everybody say, I'm upright. The path of the upright. Your path, the Bible tells you what to expect. The path of the upright shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day. Now, that'll fly in the face of what you learn in business that experts will teach you. Well, you can't, no business increases every year. Well, that's true in your world because you're a child of the devil. Until you're born again, you're not, you're, you don't have access to these things. So things work differently when you come into blood covenant with God. And one of the things that works differently is the path of the upright shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day. I was thinking when I came here in 2020 in December, let me think. 2019, we took in, let me make sure I get this right. Yeah, 2019, we took in $3.1 million. That was double what we had ever taken in. And I was thinking even back then, boy, I hope this lasts. How how is this going to happen the next year? Because in what I do, I don't even know how Patrick does any kind of budget projection. Because how do you, you know, I told you, we had a lady fly up to to Pittsburgh and drop off a check for a million dollars just during the work week, like on a Thursday. She flew up, dropped off the check, and flew back. Well, she didn't say, I'll be back next year. So how do you even predict any of that's going to happen? So I, I, I thought, man. You know, and you hear people, you can't double every year. Well, there's 3 million and 2019. I thought, boy, if we could hold steady at that, that'll be a miracle. 2020, 2020 with the lockdown. You know, if you read studies, the first thing people stop doing if there's, if there's economic trouble is charitable giving. And I, I had given the theme for that year during prayer and fasting that the theme was Amos 9.13, uh, the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed that 2020 will be a year of supernatural harvest. And when that lockdown hit in March, I thought, boy, do I wish I'd have given another theme. Supernatural harvest, I'll be happy to have supernatural treading water and making it to the end of the year. But at the end of that year, we took in about $5.1 million, up almost double from the year before. That's 2020. Then you think, man, if we could hold steady at $5 million, that would be amazing. Next year? 7 million came in, 2021. Then 2022, starting the church, $15.2 million came in that year. Now think about it. In, in, in three years, three to 15, that's 5X. Then this year, I think we're sitting at 22 million with a, with a week and a half to go. And our expenses were lower because um, there's a bunch of stuff when you start a church, you have to buy, but you don't have to buy it the second year. You buy a sound system, it's, it should still be working 14 months later. Amen. So there was stuff like that that we had to buy that we didn't have to buy again. So last year, we set a record. We gave away $2.7 million. This year, we're at $6.1 million with a week and a half to go. Do you want to know what I've noticed? Every year, our income becomes eight to 10 times whatever we gave the year before. So the year that we took in $3 million, I gave about 500000 the next year, we took in $5 million. That year, I gave 700 and some thousand. Next year, $7 million. That year, I gave $1.4 million. Next year, $15 million. 
That year I gave 2.7. This year we'll hit about 22, 23 or more. And then this year we've given six, so I should take in about 40, 50 or 60 next year because your seed determines your harvest. How many offerings have I taken at night this week? None. And I have a jet and all that. I don't know how much any of it costs. I don't care. Once I realize that my sowing determines my reaping, I'm not trying. You can feel it sometimes in church that people are trying to get, I'm talking preachers. They're trying to get what isn't theirs. They're trying to raise money because I've never had to raise money. I just collect my harvest from what we've given. That's the purpose of the tithe and the offering. Say this, my life is not in the government's hands. It's in God's hands. Now, by that, I don't mean, well, I just, I pray God uh, prospers me. I don't mean that. I mean, my life is in God's hands. And then God has given me his principles that as I obey them, that's what charts the course for my life. So A, if God told me that his will is no ups and downs, ups and ups, that the path of the upright, like the sun in the sky, shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day, then I know God does not have a will. There's no chance if I follow God's plan. It'll be, y'all pray for me. We had 15 million come in, then 23 million. I don't know what happened this year. No, that can't happen. That's a fear. When the devil puts those thoughts in your head, that, you know it's from the devil. Because God's not telling you, God's not schizophrenic. He's not telling you that he's going to have you go from glory to glory. And then at the same time, telling you, you need to be careful because you can't double every year. Double every year. You can over double every year. I am telling you, if you'll do what the Holy Spirit and the word of God tells you to do, 2024 won't be a little better than 2023. It'll be the greatest year that you've ever had in Jesus mighty name if you receive that go ahead and celebrate it ahead of time because you know it's true somebody say amen. amen so what are the practical steps how do you do it I guess the Lord probably had me cover that that first part to tell you you have to get all fear out of you if you're going to prosper what if it doesn't work out first of all the, most of the people that are worried that things aren't going to work out nothing's worked out anyway so what are you afraid? I mean, you, have, you have people that are afraid to tithe that have $80 in the bank. What, 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 they, they want my $8? All right, keep all 80 Go buy a house. What are you planning on doing with that $80? I had the Lord speak that to me one time. He, he spoke to me to give, and I said, Lord, I have $72 in the bank. And he went, exactly. Why not instead of, turn to 1 Kings 17. Why didn't they take the promised land? Fear. It paralyzes people. First Kings 17, 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. Notice that part. First Kings 17, 9. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. When Elijah came to that widow, he wasn't just some stranger coming in off the street. Because then if you don't read that verse, it makes sense why the woman won't make him anything. Some guy just comes to your house, bake me a cake. You think, how about you get off my porch before I stab you? But the Bible says that God had already told her his instruction. No one's hearing about the tithe. People won't tithe. That pastor talks about the tithe. Yeah, God already told you about it. He's just reminding you. So people are the same as this woman. They don't listen when God tells them, and they don't listen when, when, when the minister tells them. 
I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bake me a cake too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Everybody say, don't be afraid. Don't disguise your fear as praying. You know, I'm praying about, um, God already told you what to do. Once the Lord tells you what to do, there's no further prayer required. It doesn't say God told Elijah, go to the village of Zarephath. And Elijah began to pray about going to the village of Zarephath. God called me to be a missionary in India. I'm praying about going. He's going to find somebody else that'll just listen. Try that at your job and watch how fast you get fired. I need you to take this to the back. Father God, should I take it to the back? When should I take it to the back? You're going to be out of a job. It's the same with God. You can actually get out of a job with God. God will fire you and let you keep working for him. And there's a lot of ministers. That's their ministry. They, they don't obey instruction. When the Lord spoke to me on July 27th, start a second church in Fort Worth. I announced it that night. They were working on the, vi- the announcement video while I was preaching. My wife found out two hours before the people found out. People said, what does your wife think about it? I said, I'll, I'll let you know when I go talk to her. I've just to- I just texted her that we're starting a church in Texas. Can you say amen? My grandfather resigned two churches without telling anybody, including his wife. One time when he resigned the church, my Nana was on the key, the piano, and she banged the piano because they had never talked about it. He just felt in the spirit of God and said, well, this will be my last Sunday at this church. She, she hit the keys. They just got a house settled. They'd only been there like a year and a half. You have to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the, the more quickly you obey, the better. Can you say amen? amen? Bake me a cake. God had already told her to do that. You know how the story should read? This is how it should read. And Elijah came to Zarephath and saw a widow. And the widow said, here's a cup of water and a cake I've baked. That's what it should say. Should have been ready. But then she had disobeyed God. Then he said, bake a cake. I tell you, I only have. If you concentrate on the little you have. I should, I, I should change the title of this to a sure recipe to live a meaningless life. Focus on the little you have. I don't have. You listen to pastors that have small churches. I don't have anybody to help me. Yeah, boy, it's a wonder people aren't flocking to help you with your enjoyable way of speaking. I don't have anyone to help me. That's not how you attract help. Vision attracts help. You don't get help by saying, I don't have anybody to help me. You tell people where you're going, and we're going to do this. And if you'd like to come along for the ride. How many of you ever watched one of our Sunday morning services at church in Pittsburgh? I preached the one, the one Sunday, maybe about a month and a half ago, about the vision of Revival Today Church. I said, if you want to just sit here, you're welcome to. But I said, I need men and women, young and old, that, that are sharp people that will help us accomplish this vision. To beat back the darkness in Pittsburgh. To have children receive the word of God in that classroom before they get corrupted by TV and public school. And and I went like that and I said, if you would like to do that, I'm giving an altar call, not just to receive Christ today, but to join this church and be a worker in this church. 
123 people came to the altar. Some of them, it was their first day. I want to be a part of it. Give people something. There should be something you announce about what you're doing that brings an excitement to people. What are you doing today? I got a lot of laundry. That's not going to bring any help. Can you say amen? Vision attracts people. Neat. Need does not attract people. You don't get children's workers by saying, we don't have anyone to work in the children's room. If someone could sign up in the back. No. We, got, we, we have a rotation. Our church is not even two years old. And we have a large rotation of children's workers. Because we don't say, we need help watching kids. We say, who's tired of watching this stuff? Does the devil wait till people turn 23 to give them his agenda? No. So then, are, should we wait? No. How many of you are tired of seeing what Disney's doing and Viacom and public schools? Well, who would like to get involved in flipping it? And you got it. People are attracted to vision, not helping maintain. No money comes in an offering to fix the roof. People have their own roofs. Money comes in when you announce this is a house where marriages are going to get saved. And teenagers that are on drugs are going to get set free from drugs. I want you to write in your notes, vision attracts resources. With, because their people have no vision, they perish. For a lack of vision, the people perish. Most people have no vision for their life. And then we, you know, we covered that yesterday, and I guess I'm covering it again today. Where are you going? You should be able to announce the purpose of your life. And you should be able to explain it to somebody, whether they're a Christian or not. I feel called to write prophetic poetry. You can announce that in a charismatic church. But if you tell the city council that, they're going to get you a straitjacket. Can you say amen? You should be able, you should know your goal. You should be able to explain it concisely. And you should be able to explain its value to people, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. I had to do that to one of the city councils where we have a church. They had heard a bunch of bad reports about our church. And I went and met with them, and I told them, whether you're a Christian or not, with the value of our church, I told them what churches do for communities. I told them, it, I said, I read in your mission statement that the mission statement of this city council is to bring prosperity to this city. I said, do you know, want to know how a church helps that? I said, no matter what policies that you put to attract businesses to this city, they're all going to move out if there's a bunch of heroin and fentanyl addicts asleep in front of the doorways in the morning. I said, at our church, we get those people off of fentanyl and delivered from drugs. And then we get them jobs and paying taxes. Well, people, I mean, Jewish people, non-religious people, they get that the church has a physical value, whether you're a Christian or not. I told them, I said, do you want to know why churches are tax exempt? Because in the early 1900s, the American government realized these churches provide more value for free than the tax revenue we can get off of them. So we actually want there to be more churches because they have benefit. You know what else I told them? I said, you want prosperity in this city? I said, our church is already under 1,000, just under 1,000, and we're five months in. I said, when we hit 2,000 shortly, what do you think is going to happen to this town when 2,000 hungry Christians, I told them. I said, in Christianity, the only thing we're allowed to do for fun is eat. We're not allowed to gamble. We're not allowed to drink. Can't run around on your wife. So we eat. I said, and they laugh like you're laughing. I said, what do you think is going to happen when I dismiss church at 1230? And 2,000 hungry people leave the church and are looking for food immediately. I said, talk to the manager of the restaurant next to our church. He sent gifts over to our church. He said, my restaurant has been packed 
every Sunday since you opened that church. He's not a Christian. So you, you should be able to explain the value of what you're doing to people. And you should know it yourself. What is your mission? I can't remember how many tribes there are in Africa. 60-some, might be more than that. Of all the tribes in Africa, when they did a study, only four were not subsistent. Subsistent means you just hunt and get food to eat in a shelter and then repeat the next day. Your goal is to get food and have a place to sleep. Only four tribes of 60 plus, and it might be more than 60 plus. I need to look the study over again. And it's the same with people now. Most people, if I were to ask you, I mean, you'd hate to admit it. That's why I'm not going to pass the mic around and embarrass you. Your mission for this week is to do the laundry. The car needs gassed up. My truck needs its oil changed. We have a leak in our roof. I have a wall that my son was throwing football in the house and busted the sheetrock and I have to repair it. Everything about your life is maintenance. Now, obviously, we all don't have servants like Oprah Winfrey. There are things you have to do. You, do, you have to go to the grocery store and stuff, so I'm told, and, uh, and take care of things. But that can't be your life. Those are, those, are, those are maintenance things. You have to make up your mind. Are you going to be a subsistent person? I told you, every time you watch Family Feud, one of the families are subsistent. You talk to the one family. What do you, Steve Harvey asked them, what do you do? I'm an engineer for such and such a company. What are you? I work in oil and gas. What are you? I, you know, it's, it's all productive things. Then you go to the next family. What do you do? Watch the kids. What do you, what do you, it's all just stuff to like maintain. You have to, Adalis, all that she does, all that you see her do, she raises Camila. That's why it would be good for you to get in Adalis' women's mentorship group because she doesn't do one at the sacrifice of another. She raises Camila. I don't think Camila's ever been outside of a 20-foot radius of Adalis. She's the stereotypical Hispanic mother. She's not allowed to go anywhere without Adalis. She can't go to anything like Adalis. She wasn't allowed to go to youth group sleepovers. No, if I can't see you, you're not going. She's with Adalis. She ra er, er, she's with Camila. She raises her, helps her with her homework, but she authors books. She preaches the, she'll preach tonight, Wednesday night, probably at our church. She does all that. You have a bigger capacity than what you know. I'm telling you, you have a bigger capacity than what you know. Every time you say, I'm overwhelmed, it's a signal to God to not give you anymore. Do you know I've actually made a point to say the opposite? If I'm running hard and preaching and traveling and I feel tired, I'll go like this. Father, just so you know, I, I can handle this and more. If you think I'm tired and you're thinking about giving me a break, give a break to somebody else. I, I'm happy to keep going. And the Lord will keep doing that. You can do. God, one of the things God will do in your life, he'll expand your capacity. As you work, you'll get bigger. Do you know what my budget was? I was telling Abraham, Adalis and I's budget for the month when we, when we launched Revival Today was $3,200 a month. And, it, you know, I'm not that old. It's not like it was in the 20s, the, 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 the 1920s. It was basically the same. It'd be like your budget being 5,500 now, 6,000. And it took all my effort to get that. Now 50,000 a month. Now it's 50,000 a day. If somebody would have told me that back then, I would have just grabbed my chest and went home to see Jesus. But as you move and the Lord adds to your plate, and instead of being afraid, you tackle it. Not only are you doing more things, you are increasing. It's like, it's like going to Angola with Bishop Dag. I thought I was going to help people. Nobody got help more than me. 
I've lost track of the amount of people that told me since I've come back from there. Your preaching is stronger. It's different now. You go and do things for the Lord and actually nobody gets a better benefit of it than you. For he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Start with what you have. See that lady, what was her reason to not move forward? I don't have enough. I only have enough food to, uh, for one more meal and then we're going to die. Instead of focusing on the little you have and keeping it, take the little you have. What, did the, what was the opposite of what she did? The little boy. Five loaves, two fishes. What person in their right mind looks at a crowd of 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, probably 25,000 people, and says, here's five loaves and two fishes, Jesus. Wouldn't Jesus just look back at you and go, um, you might as well just keep it because the need that we have, that's not going to do anything. When you take what you have that isn't enough and put it in the hands of the master, it becomes more than enough. Don't focus on the little you have. Focus on who your God is and you're going straight to the top in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen? All right, go to Second Chronicles. A little over to the right. Second Chronicles chapter 2. Entering the acceleration lane for 2024. What can you practically do going into this year that will make it a different year? Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 1. Solomon decided to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord and also a royal palace for himself. He enlisted a force of 70,000 laborers, 80,000 men to quarry stone in the hill country, and 3,600 foremen. You know, these guys are worth reading about because, you, th you know, don't just gloss over those numbers. Yeah. 3,000, you know, you hear me talking about, we have over 40 employees now. I'm sure Solomon's up in heaven, assuming he made it, saying, uh, whoop de do Just his managers were 3,600. That's why if you work in oil and gas or you have a business, it's worth reading Proverbs. These guys manage major projects. There's nobody here. I don't care if you found the head of Chevron in, in New Mexico or Texas. He doesn't have 3,600 managers. And then what was the employees? 80,000 men to quarry stone and 70,000 general laborers. So you had 150,000 employees and 3,600 managers. If you called a meeting of all your employees, you couldn't fit them in Joel Osteen's church. If you called a meeting of your managers, it would pack out most mega churches. That's what he ran. Solomon also sent this message to King Hiram at Tyre. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David to build a palace. I'm about to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. It will be a place set apart to burn fragrant incense before him, to display the special sacrificial bread, and to sacrifice burnt offerings each morning and evening. By the way, King Hiram of Tyree, he's not a Jew. He's not, a, he's not an Israelite. He's a pagan. So when I tell you you should be able to explain your value, he's talking to an unbeliever. At new moon celebrations and other appointed festivals of the Lord our God, he has commanded Israel to do these things forever. Verse 5. This must be a magnificent temple because our God is greater than all other gods. 
So, number one, have a goal and connect it to the kingdom. Have a goal and make sure your goal is connected to the advancement of God's kingdom. How does God benefit from the thing you're trying to do? I want to make a million dollars. Okay, and then what will you do once you have it? I want to get a Bugatti. Okay, you're welcome to get a Bugatti. Let me tell you what I'm saying. Turn to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to show you what happens when you connect what you're doing to the kingdom. By the way, I probably will receive an offering at the end of this morning's meeting. I haven't received one at night yet. This is not all driving to an offering. I'm giving you things to begin to practice as a lifestyle. It's not trying to, to clip your money. We have plenty of money in the bank. If no dollars come in in the next however much is left in the year, I'll, I'll be completely fine. I'm trying to give you things that will make this year different. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out onto the water. Then Jesus sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and throw down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all night, but we haven't caught a thing. Everybody say, worked hard, caught nothing. Okay. But what had he never done? No part of his business had ever benefited Jesus's preaching ministry. Now, he has used what he had to benefit Jesus's preaching ministry. All right. But nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down my nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Until you connect what you're doing with what God wants done on the earth, all you're going to be, all you're going to be is a secular business. I don't care that you go to church. You're going to be a secular business trying Bible principles, and they won't work for you because nothing works until the kingdom of God becomes your primary focus. I told you, if you think I'm trying to get you to give, good luck passing me. What did I tell you we gave this year? $6.1 million, and there's still a year left. So I'm, I'm not trying to get you to give. I'm telling you why. How come we went $3 million, $5 million, $7 million, $15 million, $23 million, and whatever we'll do next year? Because I'm not trying to get people to help my thing. I give. So if you want to give, you're welcome to give. How concerned do I seem about the offerings? Sunday night, no offering. Monday night, no offering. Tuesday night, no offering. Now, I have, many of you know I have a plane. Those cost money to fill. I don't care. Jesus gave me the plane. It's not like he's up in heaven. Shoot, I gave him a plane. Those things are super expensive. So what I'm telling you is most Christians have no connection of their business or their dream financially to the kingdom of God. They give God a little bit. You know, if your business takes in $700,000 a month and you put $100 in the offering on Sunday, people think you gave a lot of money. God's up in heaven saying, take it back. I don't even want to look at that. So you have to give at the level. Am I against having Bugattis? I'll tell you how I feel. There's a man that's a partner of our ministry. He has multiple luxury cars. 
He has multiple businesses. He lives, he goes on nice vacations. He has the best stuff. Nice clothes, top cars. When we got that plane, he wired $151,000 to our ministry and wrote the memo for, for gas money for the plane. So he drives Bugattis and gives Bugatti offerings. Most people drive Bugattis and they give, I don't want to say the car because then anybody that owns that car is going to hate me. Let me think of a car that doesn't exist anymore. He, most people live Bugatti lives and give Geo Metro offerings. I don't know if anybody even knows what that is anymore. Yeah. So if you want to live on, and you see me, I got it. I have nice stuff. I take nice vacations. I took my mom and dad. The last week when I took my mom and dad out for Christmas, if I had $2 billion in the bank, I wouldn't have lived any differently. We went to the nicest restaurants. I got them a, ho- a suite at the nicest hotel on the Strip in Las Vegas. I, if I was a billionaire, I couldn't have treated my parents any better. I took my mom to Louis Vuitton and bought her an overcoat for winter. She, she was like floored. I bought my dad a, cus- a Brioni suit from Italy while I was there. I, I honored my parents the best I could honor my parents. But I give at a higher level... What did, I, what did you see me give Dr. Rodney for a check this year? One million dollars. I give, I live high, and I give high. Most people want to live high and give low. But if you'll give high, God will take, make your living match your giving. You can't be a big liver without being a big giver. And when you become a big giver, God will take you higher than you ever thought you could go. I see you going there this year in Jesus' mighty name. I want you to write this down and say it. Say, I can't sow the same seed and expect a different harvest. If your offerings to God stay the same, why would you be surprised that your harvest stays the same? If you want to up your level in life, up your level in your giving. And you'll say, well, one day when God blesses me. That's not how it works doesn't say receive and ye shall give. It says give and you shall receive. That's what that woman didn't understand in 1 Kings 17. She's probably thinking, what are you bothering me for? I have enough food for me and my son to eat one more meal. Why don't you go to some gated community? There's people all around here that have a ton of money. You know what? That's how most ministers still feel. Think, well, these people are poor. You know, we, we really... That's not what the purpose of the offering is. It's not to tap the resources of people that made their money without God. It's to teach people that don't have much how to put their money in financial covenant with God so that they can be the rich people in that area affecting the kingdom of God. No goal. And then once people have a goal, it has zero connection to the kingdom of God. That businessman that wired us 151000 he gives a, I saw in the report, he gives a minimum, he must have it on auto, of $2,500 a week. And then if he tunes into a broadcaster, comes and watches me preach, if he gets quickened, gives $100,000, $60,000, $50,000. So most, most business guys in the church, they have no problem throwing a $60,000 wine and cigar party with steaks. And then when it comes to offering time, they think it's a big deal to give $1,000. Everything's relative. That's why you never hear me say I'm believing for 10 people to give $1,000 tonight. Because... Some people could do that with ease, and other people couldn't do it at all. Let each man give as he... That's why God didn't make an amount for the tithe. The tithe is not $100 a week. The tithe is what? 10%. So for our ministry, uh, the last week, I asked Patrick, what's our tithe? $120,000. That means we took in $1.2 million. 
So then what do I do? Well, that's a lot of money. No, it's not. It's 10%. So you give the 120000 the same way you, you give a $12 when you're a little kid and you got, a, you got a, a 120 bucks. Can you say amen? People won't do that. People will do it at the little level. Then when it gets big, um, Pastor Dean, my wife and I have a rather large check to give. We'd like to have a meeting with you about how it'll be used. Just keep it. Now it's yours. Now you're a big shot. God doesn't like people like that. You know, you can actually irritate God. I don't know if you saw that video I played last night about the guy saying we're going to uh, crush Israel. I don't think God liked the speech too much. It's like he, he unplugged him as he was giving the speech. <laughs> you could feel him power down. In fact, if you watch that video again, that man starts losing his breath as he's threatening Israel. He doesn't threaten Israel and drop. And we're going to the thing. Like a phone that ran out of battery. You could see the red light blinking. And just like you can irritate God, you can please God. When you don't be a big shot, that's why, you know why I gave Pastor Rodney a million dollars publicly? To set an example that you shouldn't have to have a board meeting and a trust, and then we're going to give you a million, but not all at once. We're going to give you $5,000, like Shohei Otani's new contract. No, just let, everybody say, let it go. And the more freely you let it go, the more freely God lets it go back into your possession. Can you say amen? I've been having a blast at the hotel where I'm staying at. I've been carrying around a bunch of $100 bills in my pocket every maid I pass. I was just in the elevator with one today. She let me in. I can speak just enough Spanish to let her know. I know Feliz Navidad. I took 100 out and said, Feliz Navidad. Oh, thank you. Dios te bendiga. Thank Igualmente. Amen. Crying. Thank you. Then we did it yesterday with Abraham. There are two maids in the hallway. I said, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. They freak out. Yeah, it's nice to do that. See, when people say, I don't, I don't believe in prosperity. Yeah, you seem like a super fun person to be around. <laughs> you know, one of the best things about having prosperity is being able to change people's world. Somebody makes $200 a week after taxes, you can give them $200 at once. Somebody couldn't buy Christmas. was saying, I don't know how I'm going to buy Christmas gifts for my daughter. You could tell. And then now. You can do it. They go to Target and get whatever gifts they want or whatever. And I'm doing this now at this level. When I become a billionaire, life's going to be fun for a lot of people. You're going to want to stay within about 100 feet of me for the rest of your life. It's fun to pay for a whole restaurant full of people. I did that at Maria Bonita's two, two years ago. It's fun. Fun to pay for everybody in a Cracker Barrel. They're all real happy, and the bill's still only about $91 for 810 people. Most Christians have no goal, and then once they do have a goal, it has no connection to the kingdom of God. Solomon was not only the richest man who ever lived, he used those riches to build God one of the wonders of the world, Solomon's temple. What about you? What kingdom ambition do you have with your business? If you'll get one in your heart, God will get the money in your hand. I told you, we've played the, the clip before, and if you've been watching me, you've seen it probably 40 or 70 times. When my Uncle Ted gave that word to Pastor Rodney, before the end of this year, million-dollar offerings, billion-dollar flow. And then I thought, I wonder who's going to give him a million. And then I said, Lord, if you can get me up to $3 million, I'll give him a million. And he did it. From that day to when I gave the check was six weeks. It took me 42 years to get to $1.8 million in the bank. And it went to three point one in six weeks with all the other bills paid. If you'll get a kingdom goal in your heart, God will get the money in your hand. But if you pass the mic around most churches and said, what would you like to do for the kingdom of God? People don't have any kingdom goals. They have them goals. I want a new car. Or 
no goals at all. So be different. Number one, before the end of this session we're in, be able to clearly state what your goal is in life. What, like, like Solomon did. Solomon stated his goal. He could announce its importance. He knew his direction. You know, when I go to get in that plane with the pilots, they say, where do you want to go? I can't just say, well, just take off and we'll just fly around. You have to have a flight path. If you don't have an end destination, how will you ever know if you arrive there? That's how you end up living with some guy. Well, you know, I needed a place to live and I got in a fight with my last boyfriend. Here I, you don't have a direction. You're just looking for a roof and food. That's not how God made you. Where are you headed? And I'm going to tell you, if you're here and you're uh, 23 and younger, 25 and younger, isn't it so wonderful to be so young and think you know what you want to do? That's unsafe people talking. You can know by the spirit what you're supposed to do and do the, I've told this before that, um, you know, I saw that angel when I was eight that told me to be an evangelist. I told my guidance counselor at my secular high school, I'm going to be a minister. Isn't it so wonderful to be so young and feel you know what to do? You're going to change so much these four years in high school. Just nodded my head and left when the meeting was over. You can't, you can't explain spiritual things to unspiritual people. Came in my senior year. What did you decide to do? Same thing I told you my freshman year. I'm going to be a minister. And I told you the Bible college I was going to go to because when I was 10, I went to that Bible college with my dad. I knelt down to pray at the altar. And the Lord said very clearly, when you're old enough, this is the school to attend. Done. So they were mad I didn't fill out 60 college applications. I'm not filling out 60 if I know where to go. I'm not wasting a whole Saturday doing paperwork. I felt that way then and I still feel that way now. What school are you going to? School I told you. Then the same thing happened with my sister. And one day my mom was walking her dog and that guidance counselor had moved into my mother's neighborhood. She said, you know, Judy, in my 35 years of being a guidance counselor, your two children are the only two children that told me exactly what they were going to do their freshman year and did exactly at their senior year. Was that because we're special? Yes. But it's also because as many as are led by the spirit, of God. They are the sons and daughters of God. I want you to lift your hands all over this room. Say, thank you, Father, for the ability to be led by the Spirit. That's right. It'll lead you when you're young, lead you when you're eight, lead you when you're 14. Can you say amen? So number one, have a goal and connect it to kingdom advancement. Solomon announced his goal and explained its value and purpose. And then 2 Chronicles 2.5. Who has 2 Chronicles 2.5? And, and we'll be willing to read it nice and loud. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 5. One more time. Third time. Don't just have a goal. Value the greatness of your goal and be proud of it. That attracts people to what you're doing. The way you hear most pastors describe their church, who would want to go? We just have a small church in, uh, I'm just going to pick a town. I have nobody in mind. We just have a small church in in, um, Clovis, New Mexico. You know, we've been there a few years. We haven't really seen it grown like we want it. Listen, can we just stop talking? You're two sentences in and I want to throw myself off a cliff. If you're not proud of what you're doing, who's going to be proud of what you're doing? 
Solomon didn't say, we're going to build God a temple, you know, and this will be a magnificent temple for our God is greater than all other gods. If you hear me on Sunday morning, I'll tell our church, we don't even have the blueprints or anything. We're going to build a God, a magnificent house in Pittsburgh. Can you say amen? Remember we announced that steel building we were going to use? I wasn't in on that. I told him, scrap that. Thing looks like a FEMA detention camp. Amen. Yeah, I'm sure it's cheap and easy to deliver. Send it to the Muslims. Amen. I'm not using it. Be proud of your goal. I don't mean, I don't mean lie. I don't mean overstate. But be proud of what you're doing. I have a plan to do this. When we do this, we're going to do this. You know, when you, when you carry that, you can read it in 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and 3 and 4, that it attracts help. People want to be a part of something somebody's doing that's exciting. And most people, when they explain what they're doing, preachers or otherwise, there's zero excitement. How sad to be 20 years old. What do you do? I work at Walgreens. I hate it. Do something you love. Amen. Anyway, I work at CVS. I hate to go. My manager's a jerk. Boy, you're a lot of fun to be around. You know, you have to wonder who's in better shape, that guy or the guy that deals drugs and loves it. At least he's exciting to be around. He's got spinners on his car. You're a Christian walking around depressed. No, if you don't like your job, find something to do that you love. Can you say amen? You know, you're not going to hear me as a preacher knock those people. You got all these people now that just live stream their video games and expect to make money. Yeah, they're doing what they love. They found a way to get sponsors and do it. I salute them. Find the thing that you love to do and find a way to make money off of it. Can you say amen? Amen. Number two. Number one, people have no goal and they don't connect it to the kingdom. Number two, once they do have a goal, they have no actionable plan to get there. We already read Proverbs 4, 26. Mark out a straight path for your feet, then stay on the path and stay safe. Don't get sidetracked. It's not enough to have a goal. A dream without a plan becomes a nightmare. You're just frustrated. Mark out a straight, Proverbs 4, 25. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Then stay on the path and stay safe. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Then we read 2 Chronicles 2. Solomon made up his mind he was going to build a temple for God. Then he came up with a plan of how to do it. There has to come a time where you stop dreaming and start doing. You should not be telling people. And and, and you want to know when the time is? Now. Because I promise you, there's a lot of people sitting here right now that people know what you want. You've told them, but you are yet to take step one to start doing it. You know, if I were you, how many high school students are here? Wow, that's awesome. I would start doing things in high school for my goal. You know, not in high school, but whatever you can do online. If I can start getting certification, you want to cut hair? You want to be a barber? Is there a law about how young uh, you can be to be a barber? Then you can't. But as soon as you could, if you're 15, 16, I start doing my licensing while I'm in high school. I started preaching week-long meetings while I was in Bible college. I don't know what psychopath pastor wanted to have a 19-year-old for a week, sight unseen, but uh, must have been suicidal, but he did it, and I did it. Go it. Go in the direction now. Stop waiting for some day to come. It'll never come. You'll never feel more qualified. Start acting where you are now, and God will bless your endeavors. Can you say amen? 
All right. So then you should have written down, what's your goal? What connection does it have to the kingdom? What steps can I take right now to get there? Break it down, not just into steps, but into easy, accomplishable steps. If it's some big thing and it feels too big, break it. What's the first thing you can do? The things people will stonewall you about. Well, that's a lot of paperwork. Okay, what paperwork is it? Where is it? And then instead of, if it's a stack like this, is it feeling like you have to do it in an hour, just take a little every uh, week. Break it down. Everything's doable. When you read, let me tell you, because I'm older than the high school students that are here. When you meet the amount of morons that are very successful people, you don't have to be that bright to be successful. You just have to do and act. Can you say amen? Number three. Why, why do Christians repeat the same year over and over again? Number one, no goal and no connection to the kingdom. Number two, no actionable plan to get there. Number three, no profitable labor. The Bible says a man that doesn't work should not eat. The Bible says the laborer is worthy of his hire. That means when you work, you should get paid for the work that you do. I'm not, I'm not trying to get the church volunteers to unionize. You should volunteer in the house of God. I'm talking about what you do for a living. You should make a living, a good living off what you do for a living. Number three, the Bible says, a man who doesn't provide for his family materially, it has left the faith and is worse than an infidel. If you're, what the Bible's saying, I'll break it into plain English. If your kids don't have food, you're not a Christian. If your kids don't have clothes for school, you're not, don't tell people you're a Christian. You've left the faith and you're worse than an infidel. So I'm, it's quiet. I'm trying to knock fake Christianity out of people. The Lord's called me just to soak in his presence. Bull crap. I just want to be with Abba. Well, then listen to Abba and go get a Jabba. Amen. God honors hard work. You're going to find in the Bible, God actually was always talking to people who were busy working. Gideon was threshing wheat, not praying. He was working, and the Lord, an angel came to him and gave him his instruction. God detests laziness, and he admires hard work, diligent work. Can you say amen? I say that because, Ben, let me get that chart up on, on the uh, screen. Okay. Household income of U.S. religious groups. Now, with all those great financial promises in the Bible, where do you think Christians would be? One, two, three. Nope. You got the average Jewish person makes a, a 44% make over 100000 a year. Episcopals, 36% make over 100000 a year. Hi, uh, sorry, Hindus, Episcopal, 35. Presbyterians, atheists are number five. Agnostic, number six. Muslim, down there a little way, Mormon. All U.S. adults, average. Then you have Catholic, who take a vow of poverty, just below that. Then way at the bottom, all the way at the bottom is Jehovah's Witness. So when you see them riding around on bikes, now you know why. And when they say, can I pray for you? You say, I just saw a chart today. Can I pray for you? Third from the bottom, Church of God in Christ. Fifth from the bottom, which is basically the same number, 
assemblies of God below Buddhist, which is also a vow of poverty. How can Christians, Pentecostal Christians at the bottom, Church of God in Christ is black Pentecostal Christian, assemblies of God is white Pentecostal Christian. You could start an assemblies of God church in Harlem and somehow you'd find all the white people. So the Pentecostals are at the very bottom of the list. How? Now, for them to perform, keep the chart up. For them to perform that far below average, you would have to conclude that somebody has introduced a contaminant into the system. Because to be that far below average, somebody, something's wrong. And I can tell you what's wrong. What's wrong, do I even have to tell you? You know. I mean, no, money's not important. What verse is that, that money's not important? The Bible never tells you. Not only does the Bible not tell you money's not important, it gives you 2,000 verses of instruction on how to deal with money. If you think money's not important to God, ask Ananias and Sapphira whether it's important to God. Ask Cain and Abel if it's important to God. Ask Achan if it's important to God. The swiftest judgments in the Bible were over money. And the swiftest blessings in the Bible were over money. Solomon that same night gave a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him and said, tell me what you want me to do for you. I mean, good God, you give a million dollar check to Pastor Rodney. I know the Bible says your gift will come back to you. But you think to yourself, come on, let's be serious. How's a million dollar check ever going to come back? Came back in what, three weeks, five weeks? Lady flies up, drops the same thing off. Money matters to God. You know why? Where a man's treasure is, there his, there his heart is. Money is a reflection of your heart. You can't have a heart for God's kingdom and no giving. When you love something, you give. When you love a woman, you buy her gifts you can't afford. No one has to give you a class on giving. You love, you give. When you fall in love with God's kingdom, you begin to give. Money is important to God. Can you say amen? So I say this because I know why 44% of Jewish people make over 100,000. And Church of God and Christ and Assemblies of God are, is, it, is it 9 and 10%. You meet Christians that do all the things, and I'll, I'll close with this today, but I want you to get this. You meet Christians that have all the things we've covered in place, but they don't have profitable labor. Well, I, I paint homes, but I, I basically volunteer my time. I just charge for materials because I want to be a blessing. You're not a blessing. You're a moron. Because let me ask you a question. If you paint people's homes for free, what's going to be a better blessing? You painting a few homes for free or you building a $100 million construction commercial painting company where the tithe is $10 million a year and you can feed 10,000 children a day and not even barely touch your charitable giving. Which thing, let me, give you, let me give you a little pointer. If you want to help the poor, step one, don't be one of them. If you want to help the poor, it begins with you excelling in finances. You know, all the people, and I don't know if there's many anymore, I think they all gave up on me. All the people that think I'm too big into money, Jonathan talks about money, we're to be helping the poor. Let, let's stack up who helps the poor now. We are the largest contributor to feed the hungry of any ministry on planet Earth. 2,000 children a day, and we'll go up from there. Just Bishop Dag. 
is going to now start getting 20000 a month and a $300,000 gift for the crusade. The more money that's in the hands of a righteous man, the better off the world is. The more money that's in the hands of the wicked, the worse off the world is. Where are the Christians that are going to stop having dumb things to say about money and say, Lord, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, like David, like Solomon, I give you my best. I expect increase. And as you increase... I'm going to do great and mighty things for you. I'm going to affect change in Jesus' mighty name. If you're one of them, can you say amen? amen? Stop doing your work for free. Again, I'm not talking about church volunteer work. I'm talking about your business. Why do Christians feel bad about charging? Why? You know, I'm a general contractor, but I'm a Christian, so I don't charge that much. Why? Why? I, I want to know. You're not blessing anybody. You're remodeling people's kitchens who are looking to pay a lot of money so they can brag about it at a dinner party. They're not looking to save money. I think Christians are around because you see, most, what, 43% of Assemblies of God people make under 30000 a year. 46% of Church of God and Christ people make under 30000 a year. So because most Christians are only around poor people, they think everybody's poor. They think everybody's looking. They're not. There's people. There are people that are looking to replace their yacht this year because they don't like the color of the yacht they bought last year. There's plenty of money. I fly, I fly on private runways. Some of the places I land, I, I, I landed at the same place where Jesse Duplantis was, where I went to pick him up in Fort Worth. He said, look around. He said, there's a easily $20 billion worth of aircraft on this field. And then he said to me, there's plenty of money. It's just in the wrong hands. There is no shortage of money. There's no money that has ever been on this planet that's left the planet other than the space station. There's no gold up in space. There's a shortage of resources. There's a shortage of oil. No, it's all here. It, nothing's left the earth. Can you say amen? So if you only hang around the poor and hurting, if you're not careful, you think everybody's poor. That's why I, I can hear when some preachers take offerings. They think they're like, imposing. Now, I know it's Christmas time and you have gifts to buy. They think everybody's hurting. Everybody's not hurting. There's somebody, there's somebody in Hobbs getting ready to buy their 119th firearm. You only have two hands. That's their hobby. They have money. People have money to spend on things. So when you do your business, stop. Do you know you can actually charge so low that people don't want to use you? We, we, whatever we pay for a pilot, we pay a lot of money for our pilots because there's no breakdown lane in the sky. If something goes wrong, you die. I know they give you a seatbelt, but you just die with a seatbelt on. If a pilot said, hey, I know you're probably paying a lot of money for, for pilots. I'll, I'll fly your plane for $50 a week. I think, mm, I'll pass. I don't want a $50 a week pilot, and I don't want gas station sushi. Amen. I don't want clearance sushi. You should pay. If you're a general contractor, what if you said, now listen, I'm going to bid for this job, and it's probably going to come in higher than most of the other people that are bidding. But let me tell you something about me. I don't have a heroin problem. My employees don't have heroin problems. We're not going to go missing for two and a half weeks with the job half done, and I'll tell you another thing. We're not going to get halfway through and double the amount that we charge and then extend the deadline. We'll be done on the deadline for the price that we quoted, and you won't find anyone that does more excellent work than me. They'll pay. 
And if they don't pay, who cares? You only have 50 uh, weeks in a year anyway to work. So don't, instead of trying to book your schedule and run yourself ragged for no money, charge. You want to send your kids to private school? Include that in the, figure out how many jobs you're going to work a year and break that tuition down and call it service charge. Can you say amen? Money's not a mystery. So we read Luke chapter five. Peter was fishing when Jesus called him. He wasn't praying. He was fishing. He couldn't pray. Three years in, he, he couldn't pray. He was still falling asleep. God honors hard work. And then what happened? When God put his blessing on what Peter was doing, he began to catch fish. He was having trouble before, and now he could do it. And so I hear this will be the last thing I deal with. Say this out loud. Money is not a mystery. And say this. Money is not a miracle. Money is a reward for solving a problem. Someone needs an addition on their home because they've had their third child. You solve that problem as a general contractor. There's money that rewards it. You, somebody needs their house painted. That's a problem. You solve the problem. Somebody rewards it. Somebody needs a skyscraper built for their corporation. If you can, the bigger the problem you solve, the more money you get. That's all it is. So Christians think money is a mystery. Brother Jonathan, we've tithed. What do you do from the time you tithe to when you receive your harvest? I've been waiting on my harvest. You don't wait on a harvest. You harvest. The word's a verb. Peter didn't give Jesus his boat and say, well, hope fish start coming now. No. Then he went out and did the thing he was doing before, but now the blessing of God had been sprinkled on it, and what didn't work began to work. The number one way that you'll see your harvest come in is through the thing, the task that God has given you to do. It's not the only way, but the number one way is God will anoint the work you're doing. It's not just checks coming in the mail, money on the street. That can happen. But it'll be the blessing of God coming on the thing that you're doing. The phone ringing, new contracts, new ideas, new income streams, going on the internet and having an internet web, uh, web stream, income stream along with the other thing you're doing. Ideas that God gives you that'll supplement what you're doing and bring you to the top. God is doing that for you today. I said God is doing that for you today. Take the mystery out of the money. Take, take the feeling bad out of charging people. Christians are the only people I know that feel bad about charging people. I buy coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. I've never seen the lady shed one tear of saying it's $4.40. I know it's Christmas time and I know it's difficult for families, so I know the coffee's $4.40, but you can just have it. They don't care. Walmart doesn't care. The only people that care are Christians because they're, they're dumb when it comes to money. And if you think I'm being harsh, I have the statistics to prove that Christians are practically brain dead in the area of finances. How can you have all these promises and be there? How can you be below? The Southern Baptists don't believe in prosperity and are higher than the Pentecostals. And they don't believe you should have enough money. And they have more money than the people that believe in the blessing of God. Now, most of you already know what I'm, would know what I'm about to say. If I showed this chart in your average Pentecostal church and I said the Jewish people are the number one group when it comes to income in, in the country, would any Pentecostal be surprised? No. And they'd even be able to tell you why they're number one. They'd rattle off like they're an autopilot. Oh, yeah, because they're the seed of Abraham. Well, <laughs> crack your Bible open. 
to Galatians chapter 3. Let's close with that. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. Oh, yeah, they're, they're rich. They're the seed of Abraham. You can take the chart down. Put Galatians 3.13 up if you would. And then we're going to do 14 too. Galatians 3.13 and 14. Galatians 3.13 and 14. But Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Everybody say the curse is broken. That's not the only thing that happened. That the blessing. Wait a minute. No, that can't be right. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon who? Who are who, who are where? And that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Let me see verse 26, Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The same blessing that was on that's on the Jewish people now is on everyone who's in Christ. So if they're at the top, somebody explain why we're at the friggin' bottom. <laughs> you people are too easy to preach to. It doesn't even feel like work. I can tell you why. I may have shared this story before. One of my friends is a Jewish businessman who has done very, very well in life. He told me when we first started our church, he said, as soon as possible, listen to this story. As soon as possible, you need to own your own land. Well, I had just been preaching on the righteous shall possess the land and talking about land ownership and how it's in the Bible, which I hadn't really heard many Christians talk about. So when he said that, I said, tell me. And he says, oh, yeah, I know. I tell people that. I wanted to hear his perspective as a Jewish man. I said, tell me why you're telling me that. Why do I need to own my own land? I had my own reasons, but I wanted to hear if he had any better ones. He said, well, all I can tell you is when I was growing up in synagogue, our rabbi told us, God gave us land. We lost it in Egypt. That was the first thing they took away from us. And when God delivered us, the first thing he gave us back was land. And we should never allow ourselves to be in that situation again. But I remembered he had told me when I first met him that he quit going to synagogue when he was seven. So I said, how old were you when, this, when the rabbi told you that you need to own land? He said, I was seven. Well, that explains why we're at the bottom and they're at the top. Because when I was seven, I was gluing I love Jesus in pretzel sticks on blue construction paper. And you should love Jesus. But you can't go to Wells Fargo Bank to go get a land loan and go, uh, what's the land going to be for? I love Jesus. <laughs> and you can't speak in tongues. What's the land going to be for? You can't do that. You have to not only love God and have a spiritual life, you have to be able to be wise and function in this life. Think of the difference that at seven, they had the kids seated telling them about the importance of owning their own land. They don't tell you that. In Christianity, when you're 18, 38, do you know the totality of financial teaching I received growing up in church? Get a good credit score. That's what I was taught. 
Make sure you have a good credit score so you can qualify for a what? What scripture is that? What scripture is get a good credit score? Does the Bible say that or does it actually say the exact opposite? I will make you the lender and never the borrower. Now, once that clicked with me, why do you think we're starting our own bank? It'll be ready by summertime because I'm going to have what God said I can have. I'm not going to the bank. I am the bank. I'm not borrowing money. People will borrow money from me because the blessing of Abraham that our Jewish brothers walk in, it is the blessing to all who are in Christ Jesus. You're not the tail. You're the head. You're not on the bottom. You're on the top. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. Blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Say it out loud. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. I'm above. I'm not beneath. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. Blessed when I come in. Blessed when I go out. Now lift your hands and just begin to thank God. That all you have to do is believe it. You don't have to figure it out. Just believe it and follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Believe it and follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Believe it and follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Say, I will follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit. The instructions of the Holy Spirit are twofold. That you have A, his instruction in his word. Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit. All scripture, yeah, who's God? You're right. The Holy Spirit wrote this. And then secondly, then God will tailor make instructions for you that are specifics that aren't in the Bible. There's no Bible verse to go to Zion Bible Institute when you're old enough, Jonathan. That's not a Bible verse. So then as you follow the general instructions of Scripture, then the voice of the Holy Spirit will give you specific instructions that pertain to your life. There's no verse, Dean Shropshire, start a church in Hobbs, New Mexico. You get that from the Holy Spirit along with the word where God will tailor make it. But remember this. If you don't obey the general instructions, you're disqualified from receiving specific instructions. So do what the Bible says. You don't have to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit to tithe. He wrote it in here several times. Well, that's in the Old Testament. Oh, yes, yeah, Matthew in the Old Testament. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said you should tithe, yes, which in the original language means you should tithe, yes. <laughs> Hebrews 7, more instruction on tithing. How come, how, come Paul, how come the writer of Hebrews wrote specific instructions about tithing and the blessing of tithing to the Hebrew Christians in the book of Hebrews? How come Hebrews 7.1 doesn't just say, how many of you all heard we don't have to tithe anymore? Then on to verse 2. So it's in there. If you're not careful, you're going to listen to people that explain away every part of the Bible. You don't have to tithe. You don't, if you listen to people that tell you you don't have to tithe, you also don't have to stay married to your wife. You also don't have to... Uh, uh, Wait until you're married to have sex. Where did I find? Let me find this. This is from a Christian leader that I follow on, on um, Instagram just to feel better about myself because of how dumb he is. <laughs> I know they say the secret in life is to learn to laugh at yourself, but I've, I've always enjoyed laughing at others instead. <laughs> this is a sign of the last days. It says sex. Here's the caption underneath. Sex with someone you have a deep connection to is essential to emotional and spiritual wellness. That'll get you um, herpes and hell. 
don't have sex with people you have a deep emotional connection with. That's not a Bible verse. So if you're not careful, you better watch who you listen to. I'm actually starting to lose track just in 2023 of major people who people like to listen to that their ministries are all gone now. Sexual assault, most, mostly sex stuff. You're going to have to guard that. There's people that have a very light regard for the world. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to live uh, holy. How many know Jesus died for all our past, present, and future sins? There's nothing you can do to displease him, bro. Your spirit's born again. And so how could your spirit sin when it's now the very nature of God? Better be careful. It's a deep deception. It's not your spirit that gets destroyed in hell. It's your body. Jesus said, who, fear God who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. So what you do in your body matters. You better be careful who you listen to. Anything that wasn't a doctrine up until 2014, I'd be careful. I have a new thing. that Yeah, then it's probably from the devil. Because there's no new truth. There's just the truth. And you can do nothing against the truth before the truth. Now, now we've got the negative stuff out of the way. What about when you live in accordance with God's word? Just do the friggin' simple things. Go to church on Sunday. You know, I might start preaching. Like, like last night, I preached as simple a message as you can. I might just start going more simple. I might preach tonight a, a message entitled, Read Your Bible, Pray Every Day, and You'll Grow, Grow, Grow. Because if you read your Bible and pray every day, you'll grow, grow, grow. Attend church on Sunday. Not difficult. Do the I'm just waiting on God to speak. What's he going to speak to you about? You don't even do the, the normal Christian things. Be in church on Sunday. Someone should feel like they missed the rapture if they don't see you in church on Sunday. They should think you died. There's no chance. Jonathan's not in church. No, there's no way that happened. Jonathan's in church. Go to church. Pray. Read your Bible. Give, pay your tithe. 10%. It's not difficult. I can't. I, you don't have any money. God's not doing it to take 10 more percent. He's doing it to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that's so great. You won't have room enough to take it all in. When, when, when a friend of ours in Atlanta started to bash the tithe and said preachers have to, have to tell people to tithe, that's the only way they can get income. You're an idiot. Don't put words in my mouth. I don't get my income from people's tithes. I, one of the largest offerings, I, I told you that other guy wired me 151000 for gas money. That wasn't happening in a church service. That lady flew up and dropped off a check for a million dollars at 1 p.m. on a Thursday. That was not tithe or offering. I was in a steakhouse in Texas, and a guy walked across and said, we watch you on TV, and, and, and I wanted to give this to you to bless you as a check for $100,000. None of that came from tithes and offerings. So I'm sorry that's how you get your income. I give and I receive. My giving produces my receiving. I had $6,000 given to me in $100 bills yesterday. Somebody gave me $3,000, somebody gave me $2,000, somebody gave me $1,000. I think up until now, even with all the maids I've given $100 to, I think I've only given $1,100 bills out. And then I got $60 back. I only got a C in math, but $60 is better than $11. What I give, my gift comes back to me. Can you say Amen. I didn't start giving the hundreds out when I got the 6,000 cash. The 6,000 cash came once I started giving. I'm telling you, seed produces harvest. When I hear ministries, it's why I will not go raise money for people or take offerings for ministries. When I hear a ministry say, we're in a financial crisis, 
I want to see your giving. Because either you're lying or God's lying. A tither cannot go down. A tither who sows seed and works cannot go down. It's a scriptural law. You are going to walk in that scriptural law. Some of you are going to walk in that scriptural law at a young age. Let me tell you one last thing and I'll leave you alone. Some of you teenagers that are here, your parents will fight you on tithing. You need that money. Now, we already tithe as a family. Do it. Tithe. I have a friend. I have to be super general because I'm being recorded. He worked for his dad. And he started listening to me. This is years ago. And he said, Dad, does our business tithe? No. And his dad had all the reasons why you don't have to tithe anymore. And businesses especially don't have to tithe. And so he kept pressing his dad. I think we should tithe. No, I'm not doing it. I'm in charge. We're not tithing. His, dad's a, his dad goes to church and everything. Dad was on the board of a church. And um, so then the dad was going to retire, and the son bought the business from him. And his dad said, are you, are you going to tithe when you buy the business from me? He said, oh, yeah. He said, well, let me tell you something. Well, you're going to find out when you do business that a business can barely survive using 100% of the resources. If you think you can clip 10% off, you're going you're gonna to find out that your, your little theory doesn't work. So the guy made up his mind, then I'll find out my theory doesn't work. But I'm going to do what the Bible says. In the second year that he had the business, he broke his father's all-time income record. In the third year, he broke it again. Now, he, he just expanded from that state. He told me on the phone, he said, the Lord spoke to me to start in this other city. He didn't know anybody or anything. Got an office there. Started a second branch in another state that's far away from the state he's in. That one started to grow. The first day he opened the business, he got two jobs that people just felt to stop by. And now the thing, he probably has, I don't know, his dad might have had five or six employees. He probably has 14 or 15 employees. And the thing's booming. Don't let anybody talk you out of the word of God. Turn to Psalm 1. First Psalm. A life first for me. Anybody getting anything out of today? Be honest. How many of you have at least one actionable step that the Holy Spirit gave you today that you know, when I start this new year, I'm making a change here. Let me see your hand up. All right, good. I've done my job. Let me do more of my job. Psalm 1. Otherwise, years just repeat, and you shout amen a lot and stuff, but nothing will change. Psalm 1 1. Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. I'm going to read it again. Oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. That doesn't mean drug cartel people and gangsters and prostitutes, and alcoholics. It means a mocker is anybody that mocks God's word. It's basically the only battle you have to fight in Christianity. It's not about demons. It's mockers. Actually, that's the main way the devil works. Satan was a serpent in the garden. How did he attack Eve? Did he wrap himself around her and bite her neck, and she died of poison? No. Did God say that if you eat the fruit of that tree, you'll die? He's lying. That's the tool of the devil. God's lying. That doesn't work. Oh, no. But blessed is the man 
who does not abide by the counsel of mockers. Could be your own, like my friend, it could be your own father that goes to church. You can't tithe off a of business. First of all, who are you? Are you in Fortune 500 magazine? It's amazing how people accomplish very little in life and think they're experts. I've been doing this for 41 years. Yes, poorly. Even me, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I had to listen to that all the time. You know, talk to me when you've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah, you preach on Sunday and Wednesday. I preach twice a day. So actually, my 11 years beats your 40 years. I'm preaching 300 times a year. You're doing 40. And I know there's more to ministry than preaching, but not much more. And that's where, you, that's where you meet people. So you have people. Don't let people. I'm telling you this as an older guy now. I'm 43. Don't let people pull the old man card on you. I've been doing this for 40 years. What magazine are you in? Are you top of your business? Just because you've done something sucky for a long time doesn't make you an expert. Can you say amen? There's people that have been golfing for 50 years and have never broke 90. I've been golfing a long time. Yeah, and you're, you should quit. I've been a mother for a long time. Yeah, and none of your kids turned out right. You don't listen to people just because they did something for a long time. You listen to people who have had success in what they've done. Pastor Dean is not worth listening to because he's been a pastor for a long time. He's worth listening to because he's been an excellent pastor for a long time. Can you say amen? Yeah, let him hear your hand clap. He deserves it. One of the only things keeping New Mexico from collapse is sitting right in that chair. Amazing driving through Hobbs. No strip club, no abortion place, no, no, no adult movie place. Not that I've seen. I've, been, I've lived here a good portion of my life now. <laughs> this place has a clean feel to it, and I would trace it back to the one man that kept his church open. Can you say amen? If you appreciate Pastor Dean, let him hear your hand clap one more time. And Pastor Kathy. Pastor Dean and Pastor Kathy, the Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp of Hobbs, New Mexico. Now, they not only don't listen to mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by the water. In every season, they bear fruit. How many seasons? How many know sometimes we go through a dry season? Every season, we bear fruit. Their leaves never wither, and whatsoever they do, it shall prosper. Ignore advice that's contrary to the scripture, regardless of who's giving it to you. But you can let your grandma tell you about who you should marry when she blew through three marriages. I tell you about men. I'm not marrying the men you married. Me and you fish in different ponds. Amen. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting my husband from church. You got yours from uh, the Chernobyl pond. Amen. Because the devil can't stop you obeying God's word. He can put people around you to discourage you. But if you won't listen, then he has no bullets left in his gun. Let the mockers mock. You know how the devil tried to keep me from walking in prosperity? By making sure ministers who I respected got my ear and said, I think, I think you take that stuff a little too far. But you know what? All the ones that told me that are now coming back to me. Tell me how you do things again. Ignore the mockers. Ignore the people that are sent to discourage you. One final thing, which I know I've said four times. I want you to say this out loud and write it in your journal. Say, the Holy Spirit is an encourager. And write that down. So anytime somebody gives you advice that's discouraging, 
it's not the Lord. Because even if the Lord wants to correct you, he gives you something to do instead. I never say, no, no, your your business is going to fail. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would say, if you keep doing this, your business is going to fail. So do this instead, and you'll have the best year you've ever had. That's God. Anytime the Lord speaks, what does the Bible say? The voice of prophecy, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, is for edification. That means building up, not tearing down. Think of this now. Not just for the stuff I'm preaching on today. That way you won't get discouraged. What if you... I could have a filing cabinet full of words people gave me that weren't from God that were discouraging. The Lord showed me that um, the devil's planning for you to have an accident in Orlando, Florida. That's what a guy told me one time. All right, good to know. Thank you. But if I didn't know what I know, I'd go, oh, man, we need to pray at Dawes. Next time we go to Florida, I guess the devil's planning an accident to kill me. This guy, this lady walked up to my Uncle Ted, who is a very funny man in his own way. I think he's funny and like two other people, but he is funny. This lady walked up to him and said, Brother Ted, the Lord showed me you're going to drown this summer. And he went, no. And she went, no. He went, yeah. She said, why not? He went, because I can swim. Then just kept walking. <laughs> Lord showed me if you keep doing that, you're going to die. I'd, 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 you get people write all kinds of crazy stuff. But it's not the Holy Spirit speaking. Because the Holy Spirit builds up, not tears down. Even if he has a correction. Edification, exhortation, that means it lights a fire under your behind to do something. Not paralyzes you with fear. You feel like running. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Anytime somebody gives you a word from the Lord and it leaves you discomforted, it's not the Lord. His word brings comfort. Um, I'll give you one example. This will help you. So no, no lunatics lurking around church give you some word that messes you up for three months. I had a guy in the ministry that got jealous of me when I started to have some success. I mean, nothing. I'm talking way back. Not even much success, but he was jealous. So he sent word to me through another minister. Jonathan is not going to be able to sustain the pace he's on. And within 18 months, his money's going to dry up and, he, and, and he's, he's going to go, I don't know whether they said bankrupt or go to zero. Well, I respected the guy that told me. That's why the devil will use people that you like to speak to you. Because if some homeless guy sleeping in a tent in Hobbs yelled at you, you're never going to make it. You're thinking he's probably drunk. But if your mother says it, it hurts. If your sister tells you, it hurts. Notice who tried to discourage David, his older brother. Many times the battles that you have to fight the most are in your own home. Who didn't believe in Jesus in Mark chapter 6? His own brothers and sisters. Come on. We were on the same little league team together, and all of a sudden, you're the Messiah? Give me a break. (laughs) Who didn't believe Joseph? Brothers. Sold him into slavery. He didn't get sold into slavery by human traffickers. He got sold into slavery by his brothers. So this guy sends word, I'm going to lose my money. Well, I already kind of felt like that. I thought, this is amazing what's happening. There's no way this can continue to happen. My mind felt like that. So then when a guy that I respected said the Lord spoke to him, I'm going to lose all my money, I thought, well, that's not good. So I, I was at a church service that night with Bishop Oyedepo. He came from Nigeria to Baltimore. And I was sitting two-thirds of the way back, and I saw a motion, and then usher came and got me and said, Bishop Oyedepo would like you to sit on the platform. So I did. I thought, that's nice. Then I went to leave after the service was over because he said he wanted me to sit on the platform. He didn't say he wanted to be best, best buddies for life. 
And the same usher came and got me and said, Bishop Boyd Depp would like to see you up in his green room. So I went. And when he came out of the bathroom, he pointed at me and said, bring him, bring him to me. And I came over and I knelt down. And he put his hand on my head and said, the Lord says to you, I have blessed you greatly. But do you think I'm done? No, I'll bless you even more. And the blessing you've seen up until now will pale in comparison to the blessing that's coming. And then he said, now take the things I taught you tonight and go to work. And when he said that, all that sadness from that other word lifted. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. He leads forward, not backwards. Can you say amen? And he was right. He was right. Learn how to close your ears to negative voice and learn how to do it without fighting. That's not true. I am going to. Do you argue with dogs that bark at you? I have a right to be on this sidewalk. You shut your mouth. Everybody say, keep walking. Let the dogs bark. You don't have to argue with everybody that doesn't like you on Facebook. I sure don't. I'd have carpal tunnel syndrome if I did. Everybody say, keep moving forward. And learn how if it's your own mother or whoever, learn how to just nod your head. It's a great skill in life. We've had people leave our church, even though our church is only two years old. You know what I made sure not to do? Burn the bridge. You're going to leave this church. You're going to find out that God blessed you because you were here. No, no. Let them go. Tell them you love them. And then seven months later, you walk into church. and There they are in the front row. And they come over and say, hey, nice to have you back. Church feels better with you here. Glad you're back. Don't take everything personally. Your mother, your mother might tell you you're not going to make it. You're going to see when you get out there, she might just be going through menopause. And 40 minutes later, she's going to regret what she said. Just chill. You know, one thing I learned having a baby, Camila, she was the sweetest person to be around. Then every once in a while, she'd just freak out, crying. And I'd say to Doss, what's with her? And Doss would go, she's hungry. Oh. Or she's sleepy. Oh. Then I realized... She's super nice, but if she's hungry or sleepy, she turns into a complete psychopath. <laughs> and then, as I've pastored, I've realized that people are super nice. But if they're hungry or sleepy, they turn into complete psychopaths. I don't know if you ever watched me the one morning when I was teaching on YouTube, and this lady was writing in all caps, I'm a false prophet, I mean, like, mean stuff. And I said, I said, um, you remember I went, are you hungry? I said, when's the last time you've eaten? And she wrote back, now not in all caps. It's true, I haven't eaten in a long time and I am very hungry, I'm sorry. <laughs> People are basically old two-year-olds. Anybody have a grandfather like that? If he hasn't eaten, it's like, he's Benito Mussolini. Where's, anybody have any toast or butter or anything? I gotta eat my blood. And then if he's eating, he's super cool. That's people. Most people are controlled by their blood sugar. I'm telling you. I bet you your average person, Brother Jonathan, I need prayer. I'm under the attack of the devil. I'd go, okay, before I pray, have some ice cream. All right. I feel like the attack is lifted. Yes. 
your blood sugar was down, now it's up. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight's your feeling. If you go by your feeling, when you're tired, you're going to feel like you're being attacked. When you're hungry, you're going to feel like the devil's after you. Go have some ice cream and rejoice. Because we don't go by how our body feels. We go by what the Word says. I'm blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. Blessed when I come in. Blessed when I go out. I'm blessed when I wake up. I'm blessed when I lay my head back down. I don't go up and down. I'm going up and up. And I'm telling you today, you're not going up and down. You're going up and up in Jesus' mighty name. Stand on your feet and give the Lord one more boisterous praise in the auditorium. Come on, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God. My father, Tiff Shuttlesworth, is the king at that. He refuses to get worked up about what anybody says. And you just wait them out. Then they come back and apologize. Your mom will do that to you. I'm sorry I said that. I was having a rough day. People are having rough days. They're hungry. They're tired. Just chill. Learn a skill. Read something you don't like on Facebook or Instagram and keep scrolling and go about your day. Don't let somebody's opinion wreck your whole 24 hours. Do you see what she posted? Read that and tell me whether she's referring to me or not. She's referring to me, right? Who cares? <laughs> Arguing about what somebody posted has three likes and one comment. The one comment's their burner account. <laughs> Say this out loud. Never, Never. allow the key, allow the key. To, your to your happiness to be in somebody else's pocket. Keep it in your pocket. I'm happy. I just really wish my mother would come to this church with me. Well, she's not, so move on. And then if she changes her mind, good. Don't let yourself get wrapped up in another person's decision. That's how people manipulate. My mom hasn't called me since I got married because she doesn't. Yeah, that's manipulation. That's control. It's wicked. You don't treat people like that. You're not nice to people when they're making decisions you agree with and mean when they don't. Just be kind. I want you to follow my example, which is have your happiness. Now, you see how much I'm here with you all week. I travel 300-some nights this year. But um, my happiness resides in my house. I bless Adalis, and I bless Camila, and they're my family. Outside things are outside things. I try to help as many people I can. I realize there's many people that think I'm Satan incarnate or false prophets sent to deceive the church in the last days. Can you imagine if I couldn't be happy till I got all of them to agree with me? It'll never happen. Never spend your one minute explaining yourself to someone who's committed to misunderstanding you. There's people that they don't want your side of the story. They just, they're hungry. They need ice cream. And they're looking for somebody to take it out on. They don't need you. Well, if you want to know, I actually, you say I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. We actually feed 2,000 children a day. Oh, you think I'm too big on prosperity and I shouldn't have a jet. I need that jet. They don't care. And I think what happens is when you grow up, you only know a few people when you're young. And so you're used to everybody liking you. Then you find out one person doesn't like you and you try to like make peace with them. But as you get bigger, it would be impossible to get her. Let me ask you a question. Did everyone like Jesus? Did some people hate Jesus? Did some people hate Jesus so much that they nailed him to a cross? 
Did Jesus do anything to deserve that? So why do you think things would be any different? The Bible is a lesson on how things work in life. All he did was help people, and they killed him for it. So just so you know what you're getting into. Jesus said they hated me. How much more will they hate you? Don't have an expectation. (laughs) I won't keep you on your feet. I promise you I'm going to dismiss, but I actually really enjoy being with you. We we met our... our, um, Thank you. I, I taught my Bible school... <laughs> Thank you. I taught our Bible school. I was only going to teach for an hour and a half. I taught our Bible school for six hours every day. I just told them, I titled the series of messages, Everything I Know About the Ministry, because I wanted to help them out. I wanted to spend some, I was home for a week and I thought, I'm going to invest in our Bible college students. So the one message that I spoke, I said, The three most important things you need to know about ministry. When I say this, people laugh, but I mean it. And it's for life, too. Well, it's not for life because the one's for for being a preacher. These were my three points for them. You're not interesting. No one likes you. No one cares. And I told him in the ministry, if you can get those three things down, you're you're in for an easy life. Because the you're not interesting part won't apply much to you if you're not a preacher. But most speakers think they're interesting, and they're not. If If you listen to yourself on tape, you're very boring. So you need to inflect your voice and stuff. So don't assume you're interesting. Be interesting. So there wasn't, you can't be interesting, no one, but that. But then the other two is what I'm telling you. No one likes you, I told them. You can't just go stand up at a church and go, at a new church and go, today we're going to do part one on a series of prayer. They don't like you. They don't trust you. They're not just going to listen to you. You actually, and my dad is a master at it, of winning the crowd over. You got to win the crowd over first. My dad will start telling you about his dog and him. He's got a way to do it. My dad tells these boring stories in a very interesting way. And by the time he's done, people like him. They like his dog they've never met. They like that he fishes. And then they listen to him preach. You're not interesting. And then the third one, which is really one I, I want to hammer into you that'll just make for an easy life. Everybody say, no one cares. No one, cares. No one here is going to have this. But I'm giving you an example. If one person has stage four cancer and they tell their friend, I was just diagnosed with stage four cancer, and their friend has a toothache, their friend will nod their head and leave thinking about their toothache. That's people. People are not concerned with you. They're concerned with them. So if you don't know that and you're always waiting, why? how come no one home and how come they could hear? People don't care. They care about them. They're very selfish people by and large. So if you know that going into it, like Jesus knew, he didn't say, I can't believe any of these people. No, he knew. Guy comes back to say, thank you. Didn't I heal heal, uh, 10 lepers? Where's the other nine? He's like being sarcastic. You know how people were, and then he gives that other guy another blessing. People don't care. I had a friend who's a barber. His brother was a train wreck of a human being, in and out of jail, multiple kids to multiple women, and on and off drugs. So to help his brother out when his brother got clean for a couple weeks, he bought him a car. His, the brother that was a barber worked hard at his own business. He bought it. And when I say his brother, I mean he's 17. I mean he's like 47. Bought him a car, and his brother called him. I was in the barbershop on speakerphone. I heard it. And laid into him, how do you buy me this effing car, and you don't give me any money to register it? I have to pay $300 to get this effing thing registered. Now, I told him, I said, uh, he, when he hung up the phone, I said, sorry about my brother's language. I said, your brother's language. I said, if I was you, I'm a pastor. I would take your scissors and jam them into his throat. 
Maybe a little harsh for 12 p.m., but uh, that's right. Can you imagine buying your brother a car and he starts F-bombing you because you didn't give him money to get it registered? I'm telling you, people should be thankful I'm a Christian. That's people. So just know that if you have a church and you start a feeding program, people will get in shoving matches with the assistant pastors because you don't have a good kind of bread. Or you ran out of peanut butter. You got a peanut butter. <laughs> um, that's not my job. <laughs> my last name's not Jiffy. <laughs> that's people. So if you know that going into it, that I'm, look at Jesus, that you're going to help and help and help and help and help and they kill you, then you don't get disappointed in life. You're actually just happy no one killed you at the end of the day. Can you say amen? So go straight ahead for your goal. Don't worry about who approves. And you could have a mother that doesn't think you should start your own business. You start it, turn it into a multi-million dollar enterprise, and she's still mad that you started the business. Don't keep the key to your happiness in somebody else's pocket. Find out what God wants you to do. Go straight ahead and fulfill the call of God on your life. How many know we started that second church in Fort Worth? There's a pastor in Texas nearby that told his congregation, if anybody attends our church, their kids are expelled from, his, from the private school at that church. How does my face look? <laughs> me no care. I'm not going to have lunch with him. Not. I want you to you know God actually called me here. I don't care. Do whatever you want, buddy. You're going to be on heart medication for high blood pressure. I'm not. My blood pressure is like three over one. I'm super relaxed. Can you say amen? That'll make for an easy life. Did you hear what so-and-so said about you? They said that you're like an evil person and that you're, you stole money. I did that. Tell them I love them. That's what the Bible says. The respond kindness. It's for your own good. Don't let people suck you into their drama. I had a guy call me when I was pastoring. He relapsed on drugs. I was trying to help him, and he, he avoided my help. And then he texted me and said, I need help. I need a place to stay. Number one, I'd, I'd helped him, and I told him what to do, and he didn't listen to what I told him. Then he ends up on drugs, and he calls me and says, I need a place to stay tonight. It's 1.45 a.m. I said, um, I'll come see you in the morning after I finish my, my 10 a.m. broadcast. He said, but I need a place to sleep now. I said, I have a place for you to sleep. And he wrote, where? I wrote, any flat surface, and I'll see you in the morning. Sorry that you got on drugs and that you need a place to sleep. You're not six years old. You're a grown man. So go lay on the pavement and use a rock for a pillow. Jacob did it in the Bible. You're not better than him. Amen. Your problem's not my emergency. And you want to know what happens to pastors? I tell Camila and my wife, sorry, I got I to leave now. I got to go. Uh, so-and-so's back on drugs. Do you want to know why so many pastors' kids end up on drugs and stuff? Because they watch their dad chase whoever's having problems. And so they subconsciously realize, to get my dad's attention, I have to become a problem. You shouldn't. Does God reward bad behavior or good behavior? Yeah. Did Jesus spend the most time with Judas, who was a problem, or Peter, James, and John, and John, who got what he said the most? Don't reward trouble. Reward good decisions. That's what God does. 
Don't spend time with the 10 people that are the biggest problem in your company. Fire them. Spend time and invest with the people that get behind your vision and encourage you. Can you say amen? Is this little second sermon helping anybody? Christians are very easily manipulated people because they feel bad. So if somebody makes them feel bad, you know, um, here's what I would do if I was a normal Christian. Um, can you give me gas money? And then you, let's say you really don't have gas, but say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Say it, say it to me. No, you can't, and you're supposed to be a Christian. That's, they always pull that card. You're supposed to be a Christian. That's how they manipulate because you're supposed to be a Christian means anyone's supposed to be able to take anything from you at any time and sleep in your spare bedroom. Don't bring strangers into your home. Have you never watched Forensic Files? You know, that guy that relapsed on drugs needed a place to stay. I have a spare furnished bedroom. He's not coming anywhere near my home. Can you say amen? amen. And I didn't feel bad. He wrote, he actually wrote that to me when I said any flat surface. He wrote, are you serious? I thought you're supposed to be a man of God. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to be. I am. If I was Elijah, I'd come over and kick you in the ribs. Amen. <laughs> Read what people in the Bible did. <laughs> Ain't going to manipulate me. Don't let anybody pull that string on you. Thought you're supposed to be. I get, how many of you have had somebody write that to you on Facebook or something? Thought you're supposed to be a Christian. Oh, you support Trump? Thought you're supposed to be a Christian. Does it make me a saint if I support Biden? There's only two people running. Thought you're supposed to be a Christian. I am. <laughs> Oh, you're supposed to be a Christian. Oh, you're supposed to be a pastor driving a chrome escalator. They sell them to pastors, and I bought one legally. Is there some kind of pastor mobile that I missed? Or am I supposed to drive a hearse? Can you say amen? Don't be manipulated. I thought you're supposed to be a Christian. You don't even help me. Hey, I'm two rent payments behind, and they're saying we're going to lose our apartment. Can you help? If you feel to help, help. Are you hearing me talking about passing $100 bills? Of the $6.1 million we've given away this year, you know what every last one of them had in common? Not one of them asked me for it. You can't scam me. As soon as I feel like I'm being scammed, I turn into an Old Testament Christian, which didn't exist, but you understand what I'm saying. I don't like it. Some minister come by. Boy, it was amazing after I gave that million-dollar check to Pastor Rodney, how many new, new friends I made. Hey, I've been watching you preach. Oh, yeah. Decided to contact me this week. Okay. I'm not stupid. And you say amen. Close your eyes and lift both hands. Be as harmless as doves and as wise as serpents. Receive that grace today. In Jesus' name. Put your hands down and look up at me. Part three. If you feel like you're under attack, I would encourage you. We're going to fast and pray in January. I would encourage you to not let the devil pick when you fast and pray. Sometimes if the devil's trying to get you down, go have a steak. Sometimes I, when I was starting out, now I can screen it better. I'd go preach for some guy that was a loser, didn't like me. I don't even know why I invited me. Was mean, you know, you could tell the offerings were bad. There were hardly any people at the meeting. And I thought, you know what? I bet you the devil's trying to discourage me. 
I'm going to go have a steak and some chocolate cake. So that they have to have a meeting in hell and go, what's this lunatic doing? We've done everything in our power to make him sad. And he's having a meal like it's his birthday. When the devil tries to make you sad, get happy. If you don't want steak and a chocolate cake, go take your daughter to the park. One of the people I gave $100 to recently, you know why I did it? Oh, it was the morning I found out I was banned on YouTube. And I gave the one lady, uh, the maid outside, $200 because it made me feel good. I wasn't doing it to help her. Giving makes you feel good. Blessing stays with the giver. I thought, if the devil's trying to make me sad, I'm going to pass out $100 bills like I'm Don King in the Bronx in 1985. (laughs) Amen. Don't let the devil determine your mood. Amen? Amen. Lift your hands one final time. I'll shut up. I need somebody to take my batteries out. (laughs) Be blessed in Jesus' name. Every part of your life, be blessed in Jesus' name. I pray 2024, even from now till 20, through 2024, will be the happiest days you've ever known. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Be seated briefly. Let me take one question. Uno pregunta, por favor. One question. Pastor Dean, I don't know that I can help you at all. Anything you don't know, I don't think I know. Do do you believe that the tithe, which according to God's word, belongs to him Mm -hmm. and it's holy, would be enough reason to never consider not honoring him, but but giving him what belongs. Oh, yeah. I think it's a massive mistake to not tithe. And I, I don't know how people who don't tithe can't see it. I was preaching in Alaska, and this couple came up to me after and said, we have been trying to get this other couple to come to your meetings, but they won't come because they don't believe in tithing, and they don't like how you talk about tithing. So then as they talk, that couple's living in their home because they couldn't pay their mortgage and lost their home, so they're giving them a place to stay. Can you imagine having the huevos to go sit at someone else's table in their house when you don't have anything? And they have a big enough house to accommodate your whole family and tell them they don't know what they're doing with their money. You actually don't have to tithe. It's like non-tithers can't see it. I don't believe in the tithe. Can I have a ride to church? The non-tither has to get a ride from the tither. They don't see it. It's like a spiritual blindness. It's a massive mistake to not tithe. But forget about the negative. It is a massive blessing to tithe. That jet, I couldn't have saved up. If I saved up all my tithe money, it wouldn't be enough to have that jet that was given to me for free. When you tithe, God will give you what you couldn't have saved up for. Can you say amen? And then the gas for it. How am I going to pay? Yeah, but I still have to fuel it. Here's some gas money. <laughs> it's a different life. One more question from a parishioner. <laughs> it's a good question. Go ahead. You're going to get you the mic.
okay, um, have a business, so I tithe for my business. But how do you, I tithe for my business, and then when I pay myself, do I tithe for my, what I pay myself? Yeah, I can answer that because I do the same thing. So let's say this week we have $2 million come in into the ministry. 200000 will be tithed off the top of that 200000 Then we get our check, Adolis and I, and then we personally tithe off of that. And then what happens is your corporate tithe secures the blessing of God for your business. Your personal tithe secures the blessing of God for you. And that's why I have miracles of people dropping off a million dollars for the ministry. But then I also have miracles that I don't share that much about things. Like that guy that gave me a, the Rolex at the, I was at a casino. A guy walked across the parking lot and gave me a $43,000 watch with a box and papers. He said, I was in one of your services five years ago. I got, I got born again, and the Lord gave me a, an idea for a business. And when I saw you walk in, the Lord said, give him the most valuable thing you ever bought with your business for yourself. And he gave me the watch. So that's from, that's from the tithe. So then you, you tithe off both things. I'll tell you where you get it from the Bible. Um, Genesis 14, Abraham went out to battle, conquered, gave the tithe to Melchizedek, then paid his 318 men. So the, the tithe Abraham gave in Genesis 14 was not a personal tithe. It was a corporate tithe. Yes. Do you have, um, I see a lot of instruction now how to structure my business to have a foundation. But do, do you have something that biblically directing like an instruction or, um, or someone you can recommend to structure the business um, so it's, organized so there's less dysfunction yeah i think you know from the bible if you just read take a read through proverbs my bible college president said proverbs had 31 chapters it's a good idea to read a chapter a day it's like there's one for every day that'll develop your mind and a bunch of it has to do with money and then a lot of things will stand out that the holy spirit will illuminate out of that but business generally and ministry it's what's fun about life is it's constantly changing you know, what worked five years ago, and things change fast now. So you can find something that works perfectly right now, and it'll be outdated in 18 months. You know, think of this. There was a time, like when Facebook Live started, they didn't have an algorithm. So if somebody shared my broadcast, it shared it to all their friends. So we would have like 1,100 people watching at a time on Facebook Live, 750, and we barely had anybody following us. Then they changed the algorithm. Where now if you share it, it won't go to all your friends. It'll only go to your friends that they know from their algorithm. Not only are Christians, but like this type of Christianity. So the, it's very low. So now, now, like back then I had 13,000 followers. I'd have like 1,100 people watching me. Now I have 93,000 followers and we might have like 36 people watching because they clamped it down. So if I had put all my eggs into Facebook Live, I'd be finished. So you always want to check what's working. And, and, and constantly evaluate, like month to month. You know, something could be a great stream of clients, and then it, you're, just, you're not seeing it. Keep, it. keep an eye on it. And I would also tell you, watch trends. Most people wait till they're out of money to start addressing a problem. We have a, a the Bible teaches to have a storehouse. We have several million in reserve, which I know that sounds like a lot. When your budget is 15 million a year, if you have 3 million in the bank, it's going to last you about a month and a half. So it's not even that much. But I keep that in reserve, and I don't address it when we're out of money. I address it if we have two weeks in a row that are under what needs to come in. They go, okay, what's wrong? Why is it lower than normal? Start watching trends, and when you start to see a dip, 
Address a dip right away as if it's a, a crisis, and then you'll never be in crisis. Does that help? Uno más. Does that help? Oh, there was one more? And then I will make that the last one, even though I don't want to leave you. I will leave. So not in this church, obviously. You're in Colorado. There have been teachings that say give consistently, give on purpose above your tithe. And then there are other teachers who will say give by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Where's the balance of that? I think about your tithe, your tithe is set. That there's no spirit leading in tithing. It's ten percent. Even when you hear people say we felt we felt to double tithe, well, you can't really do that. You can give ten percent. You can give your tithe and then give a ten percent offering. But the tithe is the tithe. You can't reverse tithe. You can't double tithe. You can only tithe. Then when it comes to your seed, the Bible says, "Let each man give as he's directed by the Spirit, not reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver." So that's up to you, being led by the Spirit. Obviously, Elijah pushed that woman in 1 Kings 17. Paul pushed the Corinthian church because their offering was so lousy the first time. He said, I'm sending Titus back to encourage your giving. So generally, there's nothing wrong with um, provoking people to generosity. You should never do it privately. No one will ever get a private message from me asking for money. There's people that imitate my Facebook and stuff. I mean, I almost wit. I don't feel bad if anybody gets scammed. If you think I contacted you and said, dearly beloved, if you could even think those words would come out of my mouth, you deserve to lose your money. What was the other one that somebody sent me that somebody was scamming? They said, is this you? I said, could you ever picture me in a million years? Oh, say, dearest child of God. No. If you, if you got a private message from me and said, how's the friggin' weather, then maybe it's me. Um, so how do, how do you give? The offering is to be directed by the Spirit. And then I've come down to Pastor Rodney's before with, um, it's like, all right, like when I went to Bishop Dax, I, I wired $300,000. That's what I felt to give. I sat through every offering twice a day the whole week and didn't feel bad about not putting anything in. I gave my best. That's what I felt to give. So when the Bible says don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, you should never feel a soulish reason to give or someone's saying, you know, without your giving, this ministry couldn't stay. That, that's all like, that's manipulation. Just hear, hear from the Holy Spirit. But then obviously the Holy Spirit will use someone when they're teaching. You've probably had it happen with me before. Or you might have even come that night and thought, nah, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to give tonight. But then like you heard something out of the Bible and you felt the Spirit of the Lord speak to you. And you know, I wasn't gearing it at you. And you responded, my sheep know my voice. When you feel to give in your spirit, and you know it's the spirit, give. And then he'll tell you where to give. God didn't just tell Isaac or Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He told him which mountain to build an altar on and do it. Pay attention not only to what the Lord speaks you to give, but where to give. Because soil matters. I would never give to a church that says we don't believe in prosperity. I mean, you're, you're out of agreement. And then, I mean, you take a guy like Jesse Duplantis, people probably think he's blowing smoke, but, but I have the anointing of increase on me. And then when you give, he prays for a hundredfold return. We gave $65,000 from our ministry to his ministry before he came to preach. And we had four, 10, come back in like eight days immediately. 
And I've noticed that. When you first get the revelation on giving, you just want to give everywhere. But then I started to realize there's places that we would give where it would be supernatural what came back, and then there's other things you wouldn't notice much. I'd pay attention to what kind of return you get. And the return's going to be dictated a lot of time by the leadership. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a difference between giving to Jesse Duplantis saying, Father, give them a hundredfold return on what they give, and the way you've blessed them, bless me. And giving to someone that says, no, let's hold the offering up, God. We don't expect anything in return. Money is, no, is nothing but filthy lucre anyway. And our blessings are really, there's going to be a difference. Amen? So I that. hope that helps. I don't think you'll miss it. You know, you're a seasoned Christian. You, you, know, you know what to do. You know on the inside of you what to do. And then if somebody's putting pressure on you, but you don't feel it here, never let anybody pressure you. Ever into anything. Like I told you with the insurance company, if you keep your church open during COVID, we'll have to drop you as a client, then drop me. If you actually call people's bluff, they don't know what to do. If you have church on Sunday, we're going to shut your church down. See you Sunday morning. My Uncle Terry, during COVID, the police came to tell him that if he has church the next Sunday, they're going to arrest him. He came out drinking an espresso with his hand in his pocket. And they're out, you know, if you come, we don't want to do it, but we're going to have to arrest you. He took a sip of his espresso and went, see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. and make sure you bring more than two squad cars. I don't know if that's like a threat, but they were nervous. They never came back. If you call people's bluffs that threaten you and pressure you, you'll find out most of the time it's just a bluff. Every once in a while it's not, you'll die, but most of the time it's a, uh, <laughs> it's a bluff. Amen? How many of you got something out of today? How many got at least a little joy out of today? For the, That joy will give you fuel for the journey. I am going to give you an opportunity to sow seed. If you're watching online, revivaltoday.com. You can click give now. And those of you that are here, you have envelopes here. I have a, a book that's been out about one week. It's called 35 Questions for Those Who Hate the Prosperity Gospel. 35 questions for people who say they hate the prosperity gospel. I have some questions I'd like to ask you. And then um, I'm going to give that to everybody who sows a seed today as a way to say thank you. Revivaltoday.com, you click give now, cash app, dollar sign, RT give. (laughs) People are out of their minds. You need to have sex with anyone you feel a deep connection with. You're going to go to jail. (laughs) Hey, I really feel like we had a good conversation. That's like the worst advice I've ever read in my life. It's a Christian leader. Dollar sign RT give. Venmo at RT give. And then if you want to mail a large check, Revival Today, P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. After you're done, make sure you do that second part. Go to revivaltoday.com. See it over in the bottom right corner. Claim my offer. It's on the website. That just gets our the address so we can send you the book. If you give by Cash App, we don't get any information, and then I can't send you anything. While you're filling that out, the watch, that nice watch that guy gave me when I was going through the metal detector in Dubai, My book bag knocked it out of the bin, and it fell face down and shattered. 
So if you send it to Rolex, it's six months to get it replaced. This isn't a big deal. I'm just telling you how you can turn the lemons into lemonade. It's six months to get it fixed, which, which is, is awful. You know, I don't want to be without a watch for six months. I don't want to have to buy a new one. And uh, I, call, I, I, I just kind of got quiet on the plane and thought, what's the best way to navigate through this? And you don't want to just send it to anybody. You don't want to take it to a kiosk in the mall to fix. So I... Um, I texted Pastor Allen because he works with watches at Pastor Rodney's. And he told me about the, the largest gray market Rolex dealer in the world that's based in Philadelphia, five hours from me, and that they'll fix it quicker, but it'll still take a lot of time, but it won't take six months. So he told me the lady to contact. I go to contact the lady on Instagram. She's been following me for four years. I've never written her back because the messages must have got buried. And she went to prayer and fasting last year at the church. She got, she got, like, majorly touched by God for our ministry. I never knew it. So it's this lady from this watch company that's going to be handling it. So I tell her about my problem. Pastor Allen had already told her. She said, oh, I counted a, a privilege to help you out. She said, I would, I would pay for it with my own money and, and learn to fix it myself if I could because that's how much your teachings have changed my life. So I sent it away last week, and then I got the text message today that it's all done and getting shipped today and it'll be back when I get home. It took 10 days. Can you say amen? And then I went to my friend, Yuri, the jeweler, and I said, can I have a watch to wear while my other one's getting fixed? And he showed me something. I said, no, I want like a really nice one. He looked at me and went, he's Russian. He went, all right, I have one in the safety deposit box. Come back tomorrow and I'll have it for you. So give me this Rolex Daytona. I didn't have to sign any paperwork. He just said, bring it back when you're done. Isn't that nice? So I say that because we're talking about business and stuff. There's going to be six months. No, you can actually have it how you want it. Amen? And then you watch. When I did it, the Lord had everything in place. You'll be surprised this year how many things you think you're taking a big step, and the Lord was just waiting for you to take the step, and it's all set up for you ahead of time in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. You can uh, hold your seat up before the Lord. I'm happy about that. From six months to ten days, not bad. It says on the invoice to the jewel, to the guy that fixed it, please fix now for me. Everybody say right to the front of the line. Praise God. How come that how come that happened for me? Because that lady got touched by God through our ministry. So you notice, being diligent in the thing God's called you to do opens all kinds of help for you in things that don't even make sense. Father, I thank you for every seed that's sown today. Thank you for a hundredfold return. In Jesus' name. I pray that as people walk through the door you've opened up and make little tweaks that bring their life directly in line with your word that what they thought they'd never see at all, they'll see with ease. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Thank you for sharing the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. If you're interested in supporting our mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, please visit revivaltoday.com and click on Give Now to become one of our monthly partners. Thank you in advance. We hope to see you soon.